Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Sexton trying to get loose. He'll fire. He knocks it down. But Carl slammed it home. Garland upstairs. Oh! Sexton inside. Oh. A thunderous dunk. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single platform for phone, chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world connects. And connecting with me now, live via Zoom, is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I almost forgot to get this the, the little two box ready on uh, on the live stream so you would have thrown to nobody well you know uh, what you're once that... again ducking me because I, let's let the listeners in on a little secret because we were going to record yesterday at, after Darius Garland's career night and you pushed this podcast back you pushed it back with the specific agenda to calm me down so that I wasn't making outlandish claims and calling you out for some of your unfavorable comparisons in the past. I want you I to think own we've up. made enough DJ. I think we've made enough DJ Augustine jokes to know that I <laughs> I must hold my my L for my worst case scenarios for Darius Garland. Um but you were trying to calm uh, me first down. First off, we pushed it. We pushed it uh out of respect for the road back, which everyone yep. should check out, which was also debuting at the exact same time, a little bit of a scheduling snafu uh, mm-hmm. and we wanted to respect our uh our friends on the Cavs uh, digital team because they are amazing um but no it was i mean a ridiculous 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 i can't say it enough times game from darius garland it was such a lousy game through four quarters justin yes. it was so frustrating the Cavs came out in the first quarter they were playing focused defense you know like just disciplined and took a 10-point lead on the Pacers and were in complete control of the game. And then their range just shut off for two mm-hmm. quarters. I thought they played absolutely atrocious basketball, especially on the defensive end of the of the floor, just giving up back cuts, giving up easy buckets in transition, uh, no one meeting uh, uh, any Pacers bigs mm-hmm. more than two feet from the hoop, so they just got deep seal after deep seal after deep seal. Um, and then, you know, that's what star players do, uh, on nights when you probably shouldn't win your two star players, uh, in Darius and Evan kind of just closed the door on, uh, on a Pacers team that couldn't, couldn't hang from a talent perspective. And, you know, I just thought, I mean, Darius was just in total control. (laughs) Do you know how good you got to be to be getting, getting doubled 40 feet from the basket? (laughs) Yeah, you, you got to be pretty good. That's basically Steph Curry territory. And to put it into context, the previous season high for Garland was 33 points. He scored 31 in the second half, 21 of which coming in the fourth quarter, uh, in which he played the entirety of it. And it, it was just one of those fantastic performances. Um, I didn't get to watch the first three quarters live. Uh, I was out with the in-laws. And made it home just in time. So maybe they turned it on because they knew I was there to to keep them accountable, tuning in. Um, but it, it was great to see, you know, that 
was such an important game where they really needed to come out and get a win to give them some more room in the standings. Uh, they found a way to do that. Uh, I, I saw the tweet uh, Madison from the social team shared with me that uh, someone was calling Garland Sleeve Nash. And now we have Sleeve Nash and Slim Duncan. I, I'm very, very here for this nickname combo. Oh yeah, he was he was truly truly electric down the stretch uh, for this team. I thought his playmaking was elite. You know, he wasn't just hunting buckets. Yeah, you know, um, he was pretty pretty regularly. You know, making the right play. Uh, boy, Jalen Smith needed a break. Um, <laughs> he just kept getting switched on to him over and over and over again. Man, you, poor Jalen. J- Jalen and Jr. Uh, two Smiths that sometimes forget the score in the game. That uh, that foul oh, at, at the oof. end of the fourth quarter was uh, very oof. much appreciated. I have a I I actually have a theory for this because I noticed in real time that the Pacers fouled exactly at the two minute mark. And I wonder if they thought maybe that happened at like 201 and that they had a foul to give. It, it was real. I, oh, I don't know. Oh, interesting. I, I noticed that at the time because I was trying to do the mental math of does this need to occur at 159 for it to be in the bonus? Is the Cavs broadcast wrong? And apparently it can happen exactly at the two minute mark. So that was kind of a, an interesting thing that I noticed at real time. I couldn't believe that they fouled. And when he fouled, I was actually thinking back to that moment thinking, maybe the broadcast got it wrong that they put bonus mistakenly and we're not going to be shooting free throws here but that that was something that stood out to me but you're right what was so impressive about Garland's night was it was a balance of being a floor general it wasn't one of those nights where he's just going out to create for others or just looking for his own shots he was taking what the defense was giving him throughout the night And you compare that to Kyrie, who, when Kyrie had his career high in assists, 14 back in 2017, he had 14 points and 14 assists. Back in the day, like Kyrie is probably a top five scorer all time in terms of just pure talent. When he would kind of go out and have those kind of high assist nights, oftentimes he was kind of making a point that I can go out there and I can create for others. It wasn't this type of performance where you have 41 points, 13 assists, taking advantage of everything the defense is giving you. And when the defense isn't giving you something, going out and creating a bucket. That's a completely unique thing. That is such a high level thing. And it's exciting because... These are the types of performances that make you feel like no matter how people rank point guards in the NBA, Garland, if this is what he's building upon and this is what he is capable of doing, this is a talent that can go out there and be the best point guard in any given series if things are going his way. Like he is that level of talent that he can at least hold his own against some of the best point guards in the league. And as much fun as people like to have with rankings and and things like that, That is what's most important, is that you have an elite talent point guard and floor general that can get buckets for himself and create for others. Yeah, and I remember we did this a lot during the Kyrie era, where Mm -hmm. we were like, okay, looking resume to resume, is Kyrie better than Steph? No, he's not. Mm -hmm. And... And by every every available metric, we pretty much know that's not the case. But can Kyrie be better in four out of... Well, yeah. Uh, Can Kyrie be better in four out of five games? 
than right. Steph. Yes, he and 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 really that's when we're talking about championship level players. That's really what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Is got is can you hold can you hold your own? Can you win your matchup even against some of the best players in the league? Mm-hmm. And I think Darius is fast approaching that just from the perspective of he's already getting so much better at problem solving. Yep. Like they're through, they were throwing some legitimately big bodies at him, both in this game and the last one against Toronto. He's been Indy's navigating them great with guard defenders, like between Brogdon yes. and Halberton, like they have guys that can legitimately be disruptive out there. Yeah. And so you just kind of look at like the, the ways he's being challenged and the way he's figuring things out. And he even had to figure it out a little bit uh, in, in the fourth quarter, they mm-hmm. were throwing those hard traps at him 40 feet from the basket. And for a minute, the offense stalled out, and then he was like, "Wait, no! I actually have to attack it. I can't. Yeah. I can't actually just wait for them to trap me and find Evan because the outlet's so far away that they're able to recover." Mm-hmm. It was like, "No, I got. I got to attack this off the dribble as they come at me, and I can. And I can trust my own processing at full speed better than they can react to me when they're already out of position." And he was able to generate good looks again for them down the stretch. Yeah, uh, and. Like, just his problem-solving is getting really, really exciting. It is, and and this is a performance that potentially could have been a 50-point game if he got a damn call. Uh, We are continuing to see (laughs) that. We are continuing to see this He got nine free throws in this one, bro. No, no. A lot of those finishes at the basket should have been and ones, and a lot of those free throws came on on intentional fouls there. So, you know what? I'm not giving credit to that because... What drives me nuts, and friend of the podcast and, and all-around good guy, Nikias Duncan, did a really good job about the art of drawing fouls. And there is an art to it. There is also the frustrating component of it does seem like certain players have a reputation as being guys that should get fouls. That Whether it's star calls or whatever you want to call it, that's a factor. It feels sometimes, and this is, again, my persecution complex making me sound like a loser, sometimes it feels like what market a player plays and determines what type of whistle they get. And then there's the other frustrating component of you're trying to tell guys to go out there and sell calls, you know, understand the art of baiting a a defender in and drawing a foul. But for someone like Garland, who experiences contact going to the rim all the time, to tell him stop trying to make the shot. The fact that you're trying to make the shot is why you're not getting a call. And I know that you're not getting the call despite contact being there, but just go into the contact. Don't try to make the shot. Don't try to play honest basketball and you might get rewarded with a call. That is so frustrating for me as a viewer. And I understand once again, I'm aware in real time that I'm sounding like a big loser here, but this is one of my gripes that that's really starting to get to me lately. Yeah. I mean, ultimately I'm not, this night is not the night I'm going to complain. He did get to the line a decent amount. Yes, he got bumped. And there are some plays where that should have been and ones that became transition buckets the mm-hmm. other way because he got knocked over or fell right. over on, on the finish. So It, it was I those get fourth it, quarter old... finishes that were driving me nuts. And and luckily, Mobley yeah, well, managed to, to finish uh, one that he missed after getting hit to the ground. And my God, was Evan Mobley good? Uh, that was... That was a performance from Mobley that really excites the hell out of me. Like, the Toronto one was really five good. Five steals, man. Five steals. Um, like, him going out there and performing the way he did. We're basically at the point where we've already seen with Garland that with Sexton out, with Ricky out, with Levert out, 
putting more on his shoulders, he has risen to the occasion every single time. His stats just go up. He is the living embodiment of the flex seal meme of, you know what, we're just slapping Garland on this problem and he's going to deliver. And obviously the Cavs are better with uh, Allen and Mobley, but it's going to be really interesting to see if Mobley can do that a little bit of that himself, where he takes on a, a bigger load, he shoulders uh, m- more responsibility, goes out there and puts some of these stat lines. Because you look at some of the other players in this Rookie of the Year race, whether it's Kate Cunningham, whether it's Jalen, well, Jalen Green's not in the Rookie of the Year race, but even Josh Giddy or Scotty Barnes, like all these guys have been counted on a little more offensively. And the Cavs came into this season with a real mentality of sharing the responsibility, sharing the ball. And now that you don't really have a proven role man in Jared Allen, we need Evan Mobley to go out and do that. And to my pleasant surprise, he was actually setting some screens out there. He put his body on the guys. Didn't expect that, but he took it. How about that finish over Jackson uh, where, where he swung the ball down and just attacked and just an absolute blow by on a set defender. He, he was not ready for that attack. He, he was not. And the face-up game of Mobley is one of the things that's so exciting because you can just see how that could be scalable in the future and something that he can really build upon because with his vision as a passer and just his basketball instincts, if he becomes more potent as a face-up player, that is really going to open up a lot of opportunities for this Cavs offense. So I'm interested to see, can he sustain this? Can he go out there and, you know, take on more offensive responsibility? Now, not every team is going to be Indiana without Miles Turner. Um, You're going to run into some tougher matchups where that's not the case. I don't expect him to go out there and and put up this kind of a stat line against Bam Adebayo on Friday. But... You, you never know, right? Like, you, you never know if someone's able to rise to the occasion and do, um, to, to put in a performance that we're not necessarily expecting. Justin, his passing in this game was bananas. Yeah. Like, full court lob to Dean Wade, hit, hitting Lowry on a cut off the dribble. Like, it's just such elite decision making. I saw someone tweet, I, I can't, uh, I, I didn't check the veracity of this one, but, Someone tweeted that he's at 53% from the field on post-up turnarounds. Wow. Uh, like, those kind of shots are so indicative of his skill level. Dude, the 18-foot um, are... Kevin Garnett turnaround he hit in the fourth quarter was big yeah. time. Ooh. Like, that, that's yeah. real. Um, that's big time stuff. And if he's able to build upon that when the Cavs actually get guys back, like, Moving forward, when you have Colin Sexton back, when you have Levert back, when you have guys that can generate offense, if he's able to do that and be an option when the offense bogs down, that's huge. If he's able to do that, like assuming the Cavs go forward with a similar game flow to what they currently have, where he plays with Allen, but they they stagger them. Uh, he plays about 15 minutes as the backup center. If he's able to kind of find his aggressiveness and find ways to be really assertive, and move that forward to when he is playing with the second unit and he is that second unit center, that could make the Cavs really, really potent because we know the starting lineup's probably going to be good moving forward. But if our backup minutes have just this unlocked, unleashed Evan Mobley playing at the five, that's going to give you 48 minutes of hell every time you play the Cavs. Yeah, I I, I couldn't agree more. What I've really been excited to see with him these last two games is Quietly, he had 
kind of a pretty weak rebounding stretch as yeah. of late. Um, against the Pacers on February 11th, he had one board, one board in his 29 minutes, buddy. Um, against Charlotte, five. Against Philly, four. Um, in the two games prior, then he comes out, Allen's hurt, and you look at the two things where you go, what are they going to miss? They're going to miss screen setting. They're going to miss, miss defensive rebounding. Mm-hmm. And he's come out, especially in, in against uh, Toronto on the boards and Indy as a as a screener and a diver, really coming and, set, and taking on that challenge. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. It's been just really, really exciting to see him kind of like meet the moment. Uh, you know, both from and even his shot attempts, like against Charlotte, he only had nine attempts against Philly, only had seven attempts, two of seven, uh, and then two straight games of 15 attempts on, on good efficiency. And he had eight free throws in this one. Yeah. So like you're just seeing him kind of fill the gaps and like he is a guy who, you know, he's not one of these. There's always been the 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 Twitter darlings that are efficient, great defenders um, that you you go okay, but like, can they really do it at volume? I think, I think there would be some anxiety if the Cavs hadn't had such a weird season of that with Mobley, because there are games where you just don't feel him yep. when everyone's out there. Uh, at least you know, in terms of like the gaudy numbers, he's not a high volume player. That's you you feel him on on defense for sure. But um, <laughs> so want to want to amend that point a little bit. But uh, like you know, then they do have these stretches where they're missing bigs, and he just goes out and puts up twenty and seventeen and twenty two and twelve, and you're like, yep, we're gonna be all right. Yeah, I I mean he's going to need to continue playing pretty well, and I don't think you necessarily need. 41 and 13 from Garland or, uh, you know, 22 and 15 from Evan Mobley to, to go out there and win some of these games. Like some of this was necessitated by the fact that they got basically nothing out of Jetty Osman. They got almost nothing out of Kevin Love. He, he had a couple moments in the oh, first Jetty quarter. had zero points. So you could, you could argue just yeah. got nothing. Uh, and, and Kevin Love had, had a really poor game as well, right? And I, I was getting into an argument in the middle of the third quarter when the Cavs were down 10. And, and it was the argument I've had and I've mentioned on the podcast of basically me insisting the Cavs have enough to win these games. Like they don't have enough to win some of these games if they aren't getting anything from those two key bench contributors, especially when you're talking about the offensive burden that is on Mobley and Al or Mobley and Garland. Um, you need Kevin Love and, and, and Jenny Osmond to not be zeros in, in order to go out and actually be competitive in some of these games. And furthermore, I also think like the reality is that, that their defensive focus was so poor in this game. They gave 124, and yeah. and Indy did not really have to work that hard to earn it. No, um, no, they didn't. The, the uh, second Dwayne, and third Dwayne, quarter was Dwayne rough. Washington. Oh. Dwayne Washington just got whatever he wanted. I, I didn't um, put him in the show notes, but I'm glad you brought him up because that yeah, he pain was, was real. That, dude, that, that he was scaring the hell good. out of me. I mean, I know the Cavs played. I know the Cavs didn't play very well defensively, but he's pretty good. Um, <laughs> I think that, like, I think you know, if they if they play, can they win without Darius and Evan having great games? Yes. Can they win if Mo if Love and Osman are off and they're playing unfocused defense? Probably not. Um, yeah. But like, that's why you. You know, sometimes you just need your star to, to win you a game, and Darius won them. I think they can't let that be their standard. I hope that they watched um, tape in these two days off mm-hmm. um, and kind of, you know, evaluated 
like hey we probably shouldn't have won that game yeah um but for the grace of darius and and come out a little bit more focused but uh the other thing i wanted to talk about was the closing lineup justin because it kind of worked for me bro uh the darius it was darius lamar isaac mobley and uh i Mm -hmm. believe were the five uh Um, something about I, i said isaac it was Dean Lamar Okoro. Oh, was yeah. it Dean? It was Dean instead of Marketing. That's yes. what it was. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm sorry. And I thought that it was a really interesting lineup because, yes, you're playing a dude at the two and the three in Lamar and Isaac, neither of whom can really shoot. Mm-hmm. But you had the supplemental shooting of Dean Wade, Garland, and Mobley being a spacer and an active participant on the perimeter. That it just kind of, you had enough juice offensively because Darius was going so bananas. And like, they shut the Pacers' water off down the stretch. Yeah, they, they really did. And what I love about it is you have three players that the Cavs drafted high in the last three drafts, closing for you, playing important roles. And then you have two undrafted players that the Cavs have developed throughout their system, giving you real reliable minutes on a night where Kevin Love isn't contributing. Jetty Osman isn't, is having an off night. Rajon Rondo uh, is having an off night, right? You have these two undrafted players playing alongside these guys that you invested real draft capital in and fitting in. Like, to me, that... And we've talked about how great it is to to have Dean, to have Lamar be ready to step up and, and ready for the moment. But for them to be so functional and work so well alongside those guys in, in such a crucial moment, I, like to to me that that just that's the type of stuff that as a fan I really latch on to and, and adore. And, and you're right, like I, I think functionally that lineup works really well in certain situations. I, I think you might have to rely but on playing D- two different two defensively capable wings is really fun. And honestly, like you could probably make the argument for three because Dean Wade has been so good as an individual defender as well. He got that deflection at the end of the game. Lamar timed that game saving block perfectly. Like you, you have three guys that, that are really capable as defensive players that just play smart basketball, that get out in transition. Uh, Lamar is a bulldog when, when he's driving the basket. And I, I think there's certain matchups. Awesome. I, I think there's certain matchups where Lamar doesn't necessarily work. Like, uh, I, I think when you put Lamar on someone like a Harden or a Maxi, someone that's really crafty and shifty, I think you see some limitations there where he's better defending wings and, and forwards rather than the guys that can really kind of fake him, get him to bite on something and, and draw a foul. Like, I, I think those are the situations where he struggles. But on a night like that night uh, against Indiana, he is more than ready to to help out in, in those situations. And I, I do think, assuming Jared Allen continues to be out for a while, which we still don't have a timeline on that, uh, which leads me to believe he's probably going to be out for the majority of March, if not all of it, um, you're, you're going to need other guys to contribute defensively in other areas. And Lamar Stevens is a prime candidate to do that. Yeah, him and Wade. They're just such awesome players. And yep. it's so fun to get to root for both of them and, Kind of see, especially, you know, again, like I, we've said this on the pod before, but like with Lamar, after that Lakers game, that just traumatic Lakers game where he biffed like six layups, like fouled a three point shooter, like just had as bad of a, a game as you can have, 
in as high a profile a spot as the Cavs had had at that point of their season, no one would have blamed JB for just saying, okay, you you could just be our practice guy. You can mm-hmm. be our good energy guy. And he really clearly has a lot of belief in Lamar and stuck yeah. with him. And I think Lamar has been, you know, the difference between a Lamar who has somehow turned himself into a very, very helpful player for this team uh, when, when he's needed uh, and like, you know, just some, some bargain basement player that, you know, some random other replacement off the, off the streets player has been meaningful. Like they yep. probably won a, won a game that maybe they would have lost. Yeah. Um, I, I and mean, that, you, that's really, really cool. You don't win a lot of games in today's NBA when you shoot nine of 32 from the three point line, especially when your opponent shoots 16 of 32, right? Like those are sometimes the, the math games that it just catches up to you. And the Cavs have survived that on many occasions this season, going out there and, and playing good defense. This was one of those nights where they didn't play consistently good defense. And that's something that JB Bickerstaff has talked about that this young team needs to learn how to give consistent 48 minutes of effort over an 82 game season. And and that's part of the learning process. I think some of the reasons why they were able to steal that outside of the great individual performances in that fourth quarter defense was they only had eight turnovers uh, compared to 18 for Indiana. That that hasn't always been the case for them. They shot their free throws well, shooting uh, 24 of 27 from the free throw line. How many games have they lost this season because they just didn't hit their free throws? Um, obviously the, the free throws may come and go depending who the shooters are. You're, you're not always getting Garland going to the line, uh, nine times or or shooting nine free throws, but I do think taking care of the basketball, limiting turnovers is important, uh, especially for someone like Evan Mobley, who, you know, sometimes brings the ball down and, and exposes it for, for him to have 22 points and zero turnovers. Like that's, that's one of those aspects of his game that we, we didn't discuss, but that's just ridiculous. And I've got a I've got a fun stat for you, Carter, just to keep in perspective of how good and how young this team is. Darius Garland is four weeks older than Tyrese Halliburton. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's fun. That's wild. That is fun. Wanna have a Hot sad damn, fact Justin. now? I got a sad fact for you now. I I'm I'm doing the, the facts I don't. right here. I don't I, I don't, but okay. So with Karis Levert out against the Miami Heat. On Friday, which was just announced prior to us recording on this podcast. This is the longest stretch of missed games Levert has had since 2019, if you're not counting when he was out for uh, his cancer scare there. Um, This is the the most extended period of time that he's had since 2019 out with an injury. And uh, I I have to assume with him being ruled out a day before the Miami game uh, that he's probably not going to play Saturday. Maybe he'll be back on Monday against the Clippers at home. Uh, he did take part in practice today, but uh, that that ankle injury does appear to be lingering a little bit, which is frustrating. Foot, I believe. What's that? Foot, I believe. It's a foot sprain, right? Ankle's part of the foot. Don't don't you do this to me? Oh my god, it's not <laughs> part of the foot. To be very clear. <laughs> But we do not have uh, reinforcements coming in with Karis LeVert, but we do have a very interesting one coming in at the center position, Carter. Moses Brown. I, I'm really, I'm jacked about this. I I think this is one of the more fun options. Uh, you look at the free agent market uh, for centers uh, of who's available, and you got guys like Willie Cauley-Stein, which I, I think was an option both you and I had some interest in. Uh, Greg Monroe, 
known commodity, um, but not necessarily <laughs> the most stout defender on the planet. But Moses Brown, as a 22-year-old, uh, that that's very raw. Let's be honest about that. Uh, but, you know, a, an intriguing player that is not even a year removed from having a 2020 game with OKC. Yes, Dan. I'm gonna I'm gonna peel back the curtain for the chat. Uh, I was getting ready to pull up some Moses Brown highlights on YouTube, and the t- and one of the top videos is Toronto family. Cleveland got Moses Brown. SMFH. <laughs> so, so NBA Chev is uh, is salty that, Carter, uh, that, Carter. that Mr. Brown. We just didn't go handed the Raptors, the Raptors I guess. two L's in one week. How about that? You know? Oh, how about it? I, I, I don't know if that it. I don't know if that counts towards the uh, the playing race, but you know Moses Brown is an interesting player. Like uh, I, I think for Cavs fans, the if you only watch Cavs games, the the one exposure you had was the Cavs really hunting Jared Allen ruining his life. Jared Allen ruining his damn life in that game against Dallas this season. Um, I, I think one of the flaws with Moses Brown is he's someone that is a good shot blocker, but he leaves his feet a lot. He he will bite on pump fakes. He wants to go out there and be active. Um, it's in a lot of ways that you could compare him to a young JaVale McGee, uh, being a seven, two player, a big body, someone that's very active and athletic, but doesn't necessarily have kind of the, the, the sense and the kind of the, the winning mentality that, uh, McGee developed later in his career. Yeah, I did a little homework on, on this guy because um, I'm a professional. Mm-hmm. And uh, turn, turns out he was on one of the best high school teams in the country with Cole Anthony back in the day. Yeah, And uh, he went to UCLA and just kind of wasn't there, you know, kind of wasn't an impact player. Came in with some legit pedigree, went into the draft when everyone was like, oh, maybe you shouldn't go into the draft there, Moses, and ended up going undrafted and has kind of bounced around a little. I remember after... Uh, Toronto kind of just let him, or I'm sorry, OKC let him go and and, and shipped him off to Boston. Um, and then he got rerouted to Dallas this offseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some people on Twitter like, what are you doing, OKC? Like, you only got so, you know, isn't this the, the kind of guy you want on the team? Like these project bigs who show flashes. So, you know, he had a pretty good run in OKC was mm-hmm. basically invisible in Dallas before uh, getting getting let go. Uh, can you kind of? I, I see in our in our pod notes, you you have some kind of statistical breakdowns. You want to dive into those? I do. So in OKC, eighteen percent of his possessions came as a role man. He was in the sixty six percentile. Not great, but there there's a little bit of Andre Drummond to him too, where he'll miss a shot and continue to get the offensive rebound and keep tipping the ball away until he finally finishes. Do you want to uh, take a guess on how many possessions he got in Dallas as the role man, Carter? I already saw the notes, so I I don't want to I don't want to cheat, Justin. You know what I I thought I I thought I didn't even put it in the show notes, but I appreciate your honesty. I couldn't find what percentage of his possessions he played as the role man in Dallas because he didn't even have ten possessions as the role man in Dallas, which was the minimum for him to appear in that statistic. So when you're you're looking at it, this is a guy that Dallas didn't use as a role man. They didn't use him in post ups, and it was just kind of like a dump off guy, you know, someone that'll set screens for Luca or. Uh, Jalen Brunson, and they're going to go generate their own offense or uh, kick it out to a shooter. That's the way that Dallas's offense works. I do think that there's an opportunity for him as being kind of an explosive player as a role man to maybe get some opportunities with the Cavs in the second unit. Um, This is one of those interesting situations where 
I'm not counting on Moses Brown to bring a lot of productivity or to stick around with the Cavs because he's on a 10-day contract. And I, I'm not going to like lose my mind over a 10-day player until I actually see them go out there and be productive. But there's reason to believe that someone that is good as a shot blocker and as a role man um, could play well with the Cavs. And, and this is one of those situations similar to with Evan Mobley having a chance to step up statistically with Jared Allen being out of the lineup. This is a chance for the Cavs to take a look at a very athletic 7-2 player that, in theory, fits their system. And, and if it works out, uh, they do have an open roster spot, um, which they could either uh, give to Brandon Goodwin and move Moses Brown to a, a two-way contract or, or vice versa. Like they have an opportunity to at least take a look at a talented uh, young raw big man that could at least be a system fit within the Cavs. Yeah. I mean, ultimately it, it is, they could have just gotten, you know, a journeyman big, to eat some minutes, you know, another version of an Ed Davis, or they could take a shot, you know, at a young guy who can be a good practice player for them. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him get some minutes uh, in this upcoming stretch just because of the the bigs they have to play against. And, you know, this is, I think you have the right mentality where if you're the Cavs, you're like, hey, maybe he'll eat some minutes here and there. And if he shows some signs, sure. Mm -hmm. Maybe yeah. we'll, maybe we found our, our, you know, our fifth or sixth big on, on the roster and and if you're if you're Moses Brown, you know I hope the mentality is, I think I'm a player in the league. Mm -hmm. I had a stretch in Dallas that was so forgettable that like those are the kind of stretches that can kind of end a career. You yeah. know, like we think about like dudes falling out of the league because they have some major mistakes or problems, but a lot of times it's just they were invisible for too long for too mm -hmm. many stops. Yep. So if you're Moses Brown, you want you go, okay, how can I make an impression? Like, can I go into Philly and block Embiid a couple times? Can I can I can I operate in the dunker spot and make some great finishes? Can I pick can I show some chemistry with with Evan Mobley and just try to find whatever it is that makes the Cavs go, hmm. Yeah. Maybe it, we maybe we maybe we keep this guy around. The, the Philly matchup is one where I don't think Moses Brown is going to be that effective because he is someone that bites on every little I'll bet they throw move. him out to eat some fouls. They, they, they might, but I, I just don't expect him to necessarily have a good performance in that one. Because I don't. I mean, I don't either. I'm saying if you're him, you're trying to find a play or two to make an impression. Right, and that's a similar situation to what the Cavs had last year in, in bringing in Isaiah Hardenstein, right? Where yeah. this is a guy that didn't really get a lot of opportunities in Denver, uh, bad kind of system fit, and playing alongside Darius Garland, uh, and, and you know, being that kind of pick and roll partner got him opportunities. And I, I think actually, even having Rondo in the second unit is going to be very good for him because Rondo is a coach out there on the floor that's going to tell him, No, you need to go there. Like, he's going to be telling him exactly where to go, uh, trying to, to teach him how to be in open spaces to, to be available for the pass. I think that that could be something that's really beneficial for him. And I, I would actually play him probably over Ed Davis, e even if Ed Davis is a more reliable option right now, just because as unfortunate as it is, the Cavs are in a situation where enough guys are out of the lineup where we're, we're probably going to be taking some losses here. And let's give some developmental reps. Let's take a look at a player like Moses Brown that is capable of going out there and playing really well. 
And, and he, he contributes in ways that are helpful. Like he is 10th in the NBA out of players that have played at least 100 minutes in contested rebound percentage. Uh, he, he rebounds uh, a higher percentage, uh, I think like 6% higher uh, than Jared Allen, who who's leading the Cavs. Um, so th- they've needed someone that can go out there and, and get rebounds, be aggressive, create opportunities. Um, if the second unit stalls out, he's someone that can go out and get an offensive rebound and generate another opportunity. I just, even if there's more variance in what he's bringing to the table, where there's the very good plays and the very bad plays, I think this is a team that kind of needs some variance, that they, they need someone that, that can bring some juice to these lineups. And I, I think it's at least worth checking him out to, to see what he can bring to the table. I mean, even from a rim protection standpoint, like he's 7'2". He's massive. Uh, his de- defensive field goal percentage at the rim is 53.5. That's better than 54.7 for Mobley. Uh, not as good as Allen at, at 50.9, but, you know, having another center that can go out there make things difficult at the rim. Um, I mean, we saw a lot of occasions in that Indiana game where, yes, the defensive effort overall wasn't good, but especially with Mobley off the floor, there just wasn't really that rim deterrence. And I, I think he can provide at least some of that, especially against the the lesser teams that the Cavs play over these last 17 games. I think that JB kind of said it right, where he said he kind of, yeah, he's tall, pretty good athlete. Pretty good rim protector fits our profile of team. Yep. Like you can conceivably run some similar sets with him at the five and, and Evan at the four. You, you can, can run similar. You can run similar defense. Um, and you know there there's just a, an easier road to getting there. Um, do I really care if he plays over Ed Davis or not? I don't think so. I think mm. JB will do what he feels comfortable with. Yeah. Um. If he in, you know, he'll read the room, especially like if the game's out of hand, sure. Why not throw Moses in? Um, but you know, ultimately I just think it's, it's a good flyer to take in some, in like selfishly just as a fan, it's a more fun flyer to take. Like, yeah, he might, there is a 3% chance he hits and is a guy where we go, Oh, well, let's keep him for the next couple of years. Now that chance is not super high. I don't think that you bounce around like he has, uh, if you're if you're if you're so great, um, but uh, you know that we've learned so much that the NBA is about opportunity and about um, environment Situation. Yeah. and yeah and and the Cavs have an environment that if you're a rim protecting big who can just finish around the basket, things can go like it's pretty well set up for you. Yeah. I, so I, like you know let let's see what happens. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I was watching a lot of OKC games last year or that I, I was watching a lot of Dallas games this year even. Like, uh, I'm I'm not someone that's watching a ton of Mo- Moses Brown. Um, what I will say is, like, the impression I get is he's similar to other big athletic seven-footers where, you know, it really comes down to do they embrace their role? Is he willing to do the little things to, to stick to, to what he does well and not try to branch out like Marvin Bagley in Sacramento trying to play small forward and doing things that are kind of outside of his wheelhouse. And the Cavs are in a good position where he was cut from Dallas because they took multiple players back in the Porzingis deal and they needed to create the roster space. Um, I'm sure that's a humbling situation for him. And JB hasn't been shy of benching guys when they're not contributing and they're not doing the right things. I mean, even Jetty and Love had their minutes cut in the Indiana game because they weren't playing well. 
he's in a situation where and poor Dylan Dylan's just stuck in the G League oh right now. God, yeah, he's uh, uh, actually go listen to uh, Locked On Cast from earlier this week. They they were talking about uh, kind of the the intent of having Dylan in in the G League and uh, what the the goals are with his time with the Charge. I actually thought that was a really interesting conversation. I'm glad you brought that up because that deserved a shout out. Um, but I mean, Brown is in a situation now where if he's not doing the little things, if he's not sticking to the specific role and the strengths that he has, JB can bench him for Ed Davis. Ed Davis has given them good minutes. He's in a, he's on a 10-day contract. If he's not working out, they could wave him and bring in another center, whether it is Willie Cauley-Stein or uh, even bringing back Taco Fall or, or some other option. Like um, This is really kind of a, a make-or-break opportunity for him and a good situation. So you hope that he embraces it, but um, I'm not really going to count on, on him uh, being a significant part of what's going on until he goes out there and shows it. So it'll it'll be really interesting. I just think that this is a good opportunity for him because I do think that there's a fit playing alongside Garland and Rondo. Uh, it's not a big um, change from what they are already run. Like he, he, he fits in very, very well alongside some really intelligent players and, and good passers. So hopefully he can take advantage of the opportunities because the Cavs most certainly have room for someone that can do what he can bring to the table. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I, I'm excited to see him out there. And if he, if he can earn, I, I certainly will be perking up when he takes the floor. Oh, me too. How are you feeling about these weekend games before we wrap this thing up? Uh, I'm my my nerves are high. Um, I would love to be able to steal one of these games against Miami and Chicago. I hate that Chicago is is off since Wednesday, and we're going to be playing them on a back to back. Um, that's Miami's a, a tough place to go. I hate that win. we have two. I hate that we have two games off in Miami or two days <laughs> off in Miami. On JB Bickerstaff's birthday, my goodness, the South Beach flu. <laughs> it, it, if there's ever a time for it to hit, Justin, it's right now. You know what are J- they doing? JB deserves a birthday drink or two. Let, let's be honest. I, I he think... absolutely does. And when I say they, I mean the scheduling committee. This is yeah. a young team. Be respectful. <laughs> Man, I, I mean, Miami's a, a tough team to play. I, I saw that they rested Jimmy Butler uh, in their last game because they, they were looking forward to this Cavs matchup and they're, they're taking this one seriously. That's the way I'm going to spin this. Uh, but, That's you know, probably why. I, I would love to be able to steal one of these games, especially the one against Chicago. Um, if they steal one of the games, it's a huge, it's a it's a winner of a weekend as far as I'm concerned. In, in my opinion, they need to win one of these next three games against Miami, Chicago, and L.A. Um, because after in that, order to... to to keep in in pace uh, for securing that that at least the sixth seed, because you you look at what Toronto's going through right now, and they have a, a West Coast trip. Um, they, they're playing, I, I believe, uh, Phoenix, and I'm pulling it up at Phoenix, at Denver, at Lakers, at Clippers are their next four. Yeah, so that's that's a tough stretch for them. Uh, Clippers, even though it's going to be the Cavs' third game in four nights, it's also going to be the same situation for the Clippers, only playing on a back-to-back. Uh, we, we said it on the last podcast. I think the Cavs needed to go 9-9 nine and nine, uh, to, to get to kind of the, the 46-win plateau. I, I think that keeps them comfortably out of the play-in tournament. Um, so after banking that win against Indiana, you know, just get one of these next three games and, and I think you're in pretty good shape. So, 
uh, fingers crossed there, but uh, that's kind of my outlook. I, I know this is, I know this is stupid, but I feel like if they can win two out of the three, I'm back to dreaming five seed dreams. <laughs> well, especially if they beat Chicago, because if they beat yeah. Chicago, you're basically within a half game of them. Um, oh, come I, I on, Detroit! How could you? How could you blow that one? Oh. I was so ready to be so hyped for this weekend's Chicago game. It, it was ah. it was a great game. I watched that uh, down the stretch in the fourth quarter. Um, Chicago basically made a point of having DeMar DeRozan attack Cade Cunningham and, and forcing switches onto Cade and just doing DeMar DeRozan things, which uh, you don't see teams doing that to Evan Mobley. Just, just going to point that out. I don't think anyone mm. has ever mm. tried to force mm. a switch onto Evan Mobley to get a bucket in the fourth quarter. Just, just worth noting. Something, well, something to keep They've tried. Mind. They've tried. <laughs> they tried, and uh, they've stopped trying. I, I think there's enough film out there. So I'm excited to see if the Cavs can rise to the occasion. I, I think there's a lot of guys that are kind of, you know, late in a season, there's opportunity to be had, whether it's Evan Mobley stepping up with Jared Allen out, wh- whether it's Garland stepping up with Karis LeVert still out, um, Moses Brown trying to earn a spot in the NBA. I think that's a, an environment that, gets a team hungry and and hopefully they're they're able to steal one of these games we will be back on sunday uh to recap this tough back-to-back that the Cavs are going through hopefully we have a win i'm still not confident but you know fingers crossed there carter do you have any final thoughts before i wrap this thing up go Cavs. go Cavs. i agree Go Cavs. On on Austin Carr's birthday, I think we needed to give that shout-out as well. Uh, so big thanks to all our listeners. The biggest shout-out always goes to you guys, especially those tuning in live on YouTube. Make sure you like and subscribe. Click that notification bell so you know when we're going live. If you're listening via podcast, leave a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of the Chase Down's exclusive Discord chat, send a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you guys choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. And until next time, you okay.